power. There we go. Woo! Now I've got some uh, amplification. Yeah, just for me, like visiting, uh, I, my name is Abby. I'm married to John. Um, about 15, 16 years ago, God spoke to me about not necessarily uh, going to London to be a famous graphic designer, which was my plan for my own life, uh, but to uh, come instead, God began to break my heart for starting and planting churches, for loving the poor, for wanting to see uh, real change come to cities and communities. Um, and it was this church that God called me after university to come and start many, many years ago. So I was part with John, uh, the original team of people that really laid the foundations here uh, for so much of what is going on uh, ahead of, you know, as you guys have grown. And I know that many of you looking at me now will be like, I have no idea who she is. And that's fine, because that should be how it is that... Um, we hand on, so we lay a foundation upon what Christ has already done. It was Christ's desire to plant Jubilee, and we get to come and serve that here. And we should always be open-handed with the things that he uh, is giving us to do. And, uh, and then we felt about um, six, seven years ago, hi Mel, that we should uh, just get a chance to go again and go and do that in the east of the city. So now John and I lead together with a group of other people, a church plant in, uh, well it's no longer a church plant, we're now established as a church uh, in the east of the city uh, called River City. And so we uh, really feel very much part of you guys still, you are our family, although some of you will not know us. Um, and it feels like hallow ground to me coming back here. And so I'm always a little nervous, just like looking out again upon uh, family and to know you and to love you and just really want to do a, a great job of blessing you this morning. And so I know that you are concluding a series on who Jesus is, who God says that he is himself. Um, and when Dan sent me the preaching series, a little late, I might add, <laughs> what he said that uh, he wanted really in his notes, the thing he wants you guys to have known all the way through this is that what you guys believe about God will change how you relate to him. And he wants you guys to learn, and every pastor wants this about their flock, to learn not to base our view of God upon our feelings or how we get out of bed in the morning, but on the truth of the word of God. And that has just been wonderful to read through all the things that you've been, and I've listened to a few of your series so far, just great truth that's being imparted into you. But you know, if we only ever have an intellectual understanding of who God is, and we don't experience and live in the good of it, it hasn't changed us. And I want this morning not to bring you theories, but for you to experience the goodness of the Prince of Peace. And so we've reached the very end of uh, the series, He Is, and today we're looking at He is the Prince of Peace. I know that during Advent you've been looking at this prophetic word in Isaiah about Jesus is coming. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, Isaiah prophesied there would be a baby born that would be a number of, known for a number of things. And Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this is not just a mere title. You know, like, 
the Queen has got many regal titles, and Prince Charles is so-and-so of Duchess and blah, 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 wherever. And he's got all these posh titles, doesn't he? But this is not what's going on here. You see, this is not just a title for a king, although that is very befitting of, for Jesus. Now, this is a summary of his character. This is a statement about his personhood and his leadership and what his rule and reign was going to be known for because all of his subjects would experience these things by uh, being under his leadership. And actually, uh, this whole phrase, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, is one long Hebrew name. I'm going to have a go at pronouncing it. Here you go. I'm sorry if you speak Hebrew and I absolutely murder this. But it's uh, Pele Joez El Gibor Abi Ad Sar Shalom. And I'm sure that sounds really beautiful in Hebrew. But translated into English, it is these four incredible words about who Jesus was going to be known to be. And the very last bit of that phrase is what I'm looking at this morning. Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. And just before I look at that phrase in a bit more detail, I wanted to help us just restore some wonder around the Christmas story this morning. I don't know if you're like me, but I've been a Christian many years now, and the Christmas story can be a bit like, yeah, that's nice, because I'm so familiar with it. I'm so like, oh, that's great. We're going to look at the Christmas story again. And I just miss sometimes a connection with the wonder and the awe of what God did uh, self-revealing himself through the person of Jesus at Christmas time. And I read this incredible theory about the birthplace of Jesus this week, and I wanted to share it with you so that you captured a bit of awe and wonder again this morning. Is that all right? Is that all right? Wonderful. I'm a massive extrovert, so like nodding and going, yeah, and some African clapping is absolutely fine with me, so feel free, okay. Um, so I read this theory by a chap called Alfred Edersheim, a Jewish scholar, uh, this, uh, this week, and it suggests that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, may have been born in a place uh, in Bethlehem called Migdal Eder, and that's translated as Tower of the flock, you know, and there's actually lots of controversy. No one can quite decide where Jesus was born. Was it a stable? Was it a cave? Was it a back room? But this guy, Joseph Edishim, he suggests that perhaps he was born in a tower, in a stable attached to a tower that was used by shepherds to watch over special sacrificial flocks for the temple. So when sheep were born, and they were going to be used as temple sacrifices, they were born in a certain place. Um, and they were looked after there from birth to temple sacrifice. And at this tower was a, a stable attached where ewes delivered their lambs. And in addition to this, it says that when these lambs, which met the requirement for the Passover sacrifice, were born... Uh, when, if they were found to be perfect without blemish, you know, a few would come along, then the shepherds would wrap them up straight from uh, being born in cloth, in swaddling. And they would also then lay those uh, lambs in a feeding groove on the floor in a manger. 
Uh, and it was all happening at this place called Migdal Eder, this tower of the flock. And that was, it was ha they were ha uh, kept there safely to prevent them ha having any harm done to them. And isn't it interesting that when the shepherds are greeted by these angels, the angels don't tell them where to find the baby. They give them signs to look for. He will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And they knew exactly where to look. Isn't that interesting? And so for me, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And there's a number of other things that he goes on to say that the history of Jew there was a history of Jewish women giving birth in this stable. Apparently in Genesis 35, that's where Rachel gave birth to Benjamin. And Benjamin is given two names. He's uh, known as firstly as son of sorrow because of course she's dying as she gives birth to him. But then his father renames him son of my right hand. And these are both names then given to Jesus. This possibly in this same place. And uh, in Micah 4, you get this really strange prophecy about a, a, a godly king being born through a woman who's in labor and linked to this tower of the flock. And this godly king who was born would be one who would restore God's people and lead them to victory, uh, into victory over evil. And this messianic, messianic figure would ultimately bring peace because he would establish God's rule among the nations ruling forever. And we can't know for sure if this was the birthplace of Jesus. But if those details are correct, then it shows that God planned the birth of Jesus. And we know this, don't we, from other sources thousands of years before it happened. I want to help you see this morning, and I hope you come away with this feeling, that we can know for certain that a God that can arrange the birth of his son to that amount of detail can be trusted with your life. And I want you to know for yourselves the peace of his rule and reign can and will permeate your lives today. And it's this that I want to speak to. I hope that today you will meet with the Prince of Peace himself. In fact, Prince of Peace, would you just come and presence yourself with us again? I know that you're always here, but let us be more aware of you in our minds and in our hearts. Just take a moment. Rest. Let's close your eyes and know that the Prince of Peace is with you today. So there's just really two things that I want to share with you today. I want to remind you who this Prince of Peace is. Who is this Prince of Peace? And secondly, how then do we access and live in the peace that he promised? So firstly, who is this Prince of Peace? You see, through the prophet Isaiah, God revealed that a child would be born called Sar Shalom. And this Sar word means captain or leader, head of, uh, one that leads his people into a place. And shalom is the Jewish word for wholeness, completeness, being brought into a place where everything is resolved 
where your lives or your something has happened in your life, where it's now free from discord. Gosh, who needs a bit of that this morning? (laughs) Just three of you. (laughs) I think you're fibbing. (laughs) I know then that we all need some wholeness, some resolution, some completeness to some things in our lives this morning. And when Jesus came into the world, he came to lead a broken world to a place where they could be made whole again. That is the good news of Christmas, is he came to lead this broken world into a place of wholeness. And how did he do that? Well, firstly, Jesus was the only one worthy to procure peace between God and man. He came as the ultimate temporal sacrifice. He was born so that man no more may die. He was born to give them second birth, as the wonderful carols that we're singing in this season remind us. He came to reconcile us to God, bridging the gap created by our sin and our wrongdoing that just means we cannot find God because there's always something in the way. And Jesus came at the cross and removed that from us. And all you need to do is opt in. (laughs) All you need to do is say yes. All you need to do is recognize, yeah, there's some stuff in my life that is not okay. And ask Jesus to remove it from you. And angels herald his birth with cries of peace on earth to mankind. Now there was a way for mankind to come back into relationship with God, to know peace with God. Jesus died the death that we all deserve. It was like he took the test that none of us can pass. None of us were good enough in our own right. No amount of works, no amount of study would ever have been enough to get rid of all of this wrongdoing, to get rid of all of this brokenness. We needed him to pass the test for us. It was like he took the test sheet, filled in all the answers, got an A and handed it back to you with your name on it and you can hand it in as your own. What peace it is to know as Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished He's talking about my sin. Hallelujah. He's talking about your sin. It is finished. It's over. There's no more. We are living now in victory in the good of all that Christ has done. And do you know that any moment, at any moment of your day, you can remind yourself what is true and has never changed because I need reminding about every 30 seconds. (laughs) Oh, oh, I've forgotten. Oh, this is really hard. Oh, hang on. Wait, Jesus lifted me out of this place. I don't have to live like that anymore. I can say no to temptation. I can have the the will and the power to overcome this if I choose to remind myself that Jesus Christ said it is finished. I don't have to turn to this way of living any longer. I told you I was a massive extrovert. (laughs) Exciting. I love it. I love that you love it. Thank you so much. I love that I remember that you will come with me as Jubilee. I love that we are family together, that these truths, no matter where we go to, share them, are true among the people of God. The people of God can live in the good of them and should celebrate them all the time. And because we become so familiar, we just forget. 
You see, also in Ephesians, secondly, his death on the cross dealt with all the discord between the Jews and the Gentiles, but also between all the factions of mankind, all the things that make us feel divided away from one another. It says in Ephesians 2, 14 to 15, it says, For he himself is our peace. He made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Amen and amen that he has done this. And one day we will stand before the throne with myriads and myriads of people, hundreds and hundreds from every tribe and every tongue and every rule and every nation. And God will have brought peace because we'll all stand there knowing we are worthy alongside one another. There's no one-upmanship. There's no person born with more privilege than the other. Everyone has been brought down to realize we are sinners before a savior and we could not be here without him. How wonderful that we will meet the king of kings face to face one day. And there will be no difference between any of us because none of the things that we've done with our lives will count for anything other than what Christ did for us on the cross. There is peace to know today you don't have to perform, that you don't have to be anything other than loved by God to know that you are worthy, to know that you are absolutely able to be part of this family that God has created you to know and be part of, that none of us are any better or worse than each other. He has created us to know peace with one another. And lastly, in this part of my talk, but just to remind you what Jesus has done, who this Prince of Peace is, Jesus is the one who has brought peace for our own consciousness. You see, being sacrificed on the cross on our behalf purchased peace for our own consciences, for ourselves. Jesus left this peace as a legacy for his disciples, for all that would follow him with their lives. It says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. My peace I give you, all who follow me. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He goes on to say in John 16, 33, I have told you, he's like repeating himself because the disciples didn't get it the first time. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Could you just pass me my glass of water? It's just down by Phoebe's bag, sorry, thank you. Otherwise I'm going to start coughing. I have told you you these things so that you I'm including myself was we will have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart dear ones He has overcome the world. You see, what's going on here is Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's going to die on the cross and then return to life. They don't get it at all. And then, of course, he knows he's going back to his father, that he's not going to be with them physically present forever. 
but he promises his disciples peace. You see, at the, at the time, as you were leaving somewhere, you would customarily say shalom, you would bless one another. It was like a greeting that you would say as you entered and as you left one another's presence. But Jesus is saying, look, I'm not saying peace be with you as a customary thing. Look, this is not an empty, meaningless salutation. The peace that I am leaving with you is profound and lasting. It's for all of us now, today. One commentator I, said, I read was, said this, the contrast that Jesus is talking about when he says that it's, I don't leave it like the world gives you it, it's not between the emptiness of the world's salutations and the reality of God's own gift, but between his legacy to them and the legacies that ordinarily are left by the world to one another. You see, he's not leaving them land or houses. He's not giving them possessions, but he is giving his disciples, his followers, he leaves them peace. His own, his very own peace, part of his personhood is always with us by the Spirit. And that is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And isn't it also the same greeting that we then see as Jesus victoriously rises from the dead again? We see that he greets the bewildered disciples with, Peace to you, do not be afraid. You see, he does not make his subjects rich with possessions and houses and stuff that pass away, but he leaves us something even more profound that will go on to eternity. Did you realize that the peace of God will grow in ever-increasing integers in your life and you will one day enter into it in eternity and there'll be no barrier between you and knowing full and utter peace? Instead, he's like a king processing through the earth, not, not like a king that scatters wealth and riches to show how generous he is as a benevolent king. But this, case, this king, Jesus, he is here, he has come at Christmas to scatter liberally the peace among those whose lives he touches. Have some peace. Have some more peace. Here's some more. I'm a generous giver. I'm a generous king. I want you to have peace. It's a sign, a mark of my kingdom. Here it is. Live in the good of it of all time. Not got any right now. Have some more. Here it is. It never, ever runs out. His rule and reign was synonymous with peace, and his followers were and still are to be characterized by it also. So how is it that we then access that peace that he promised? You see, we can clearly see from these verses in John that Jesus came to soothe our anxieties and give us a sound mind. The peace that Jesus brought into the world at Christmas is supposed to allow us to be content and rest in him no matter the chaos that surrounds us. But I wonder if I were just to ask you, okay, so where is it? Do you feel very peaceful right now? Sometimes, most of the time, <laughs> I really don't. 
You see, I'm not stood here as one who has cracked it, who knows how to do this stuff all the time. I'm here as one who's preaching to my own consciousness, preaching to my own spirit, preaching to my own heart, reminding myself that peace is available all the time. Another commentator that I read as I was studying for you to to serve you really well this morning is that it says, this guy said, if the peacefulness that Jesus came to bring has not yet very clearly shown itself, the reason would seem to be that the Lord's kingdom has yet to come into the hearts of most people. That the Lord's kingdom has yet to come into the hearts of most people. And I have to confess that that's me like 90% of the time at the moment. (laughs) It's a stressful season running up to Christmas, can't it? It can be like, and then, you know, add a pandemic into that. It's just really quite difficult. I have three young children, one of whom is only three. I barely can, like, get five minutes alone to myself. I like going to the toilet and lock the door and just pretend I'm having a really, like, large... Because I can be on my own. (laughs) Because it doesn't happen from the morning that I wake... The moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I go to bed at night, there's someone that needs something. (laughs) And that's incredibly difficult, then, to feel like I have peace. But here's the thing, Jesus' peace is not just about getting quiet five minutes on our own with him or with ourselves. It's also what I find robs me of peace over and over again is the state of this world, of living here and seeing so much unresolved brokenness. I'm deeply saddened by the fact that the city that we live in is statistically one of the, the worst in terms of people who would say, I'm a Christian, and I'm going for Jesus, and I go to a church, and I love following Jesus. Statistically, it's like less than 1%, I think, in our city, and it deeply distresses me. I don't know if you ever walk down the street and realize, looking in the faces of the people, that most of them are not going to be with us in eternity. You see, here's the thing about peace, is it's available to everyone who says yes to Jesus. But you cannot access it without Jesus. You have to come through the door that is Jesus. We must not kid ourselves that the people that haven't said yes, I want Jesus, will be there when we end our life, when lives uh, come to a close, when this world comes to a close, which is what, again, the Bible teaches. Let's remember this. Let us keep this as a sense of urgency at all time. This nation as well, as I look around, I read the newspapers, as I watch the TV, I realize this nation is so far away from God. We're in the middle of a great winter in terms of uh, Christianity in this nation. Every time I'm turning on the news, do you feel like your mind is assaulted by all the things going on in the world? COVID fears, people attacking one another, child abuse. This should not happen. This was not the world that God intended. This was not his desire for the world. It has traveled very far away in terms of the brokenness that God desired. He did not desire this. It was mankind turning from God and trying to do it his own way that led us to this place. 
And I know if we were to survey among the people here, I know that there's a family among you that have had a, a loss of a loved one this week. Uh, I know that this morning there will be people that are sick, people that are experiencing broken relationships, people who are grieving, people who are lonely, people experiencing financial pressure, people experiencing mental health problems. The way that we all live right now, we are all on the edge of being okay. <laughs> We're just about managing, holding it together. Each of these things, as I assess them, they build up worries in my mind day on day, layer upon layer, that robs me of peace. How on earth are we supposed to live right now in the middle of this broken world and still experience and access the peace of God? Well, to just illustrate that, I wanted to tell you about a piece of furniture in my house. In our hallway, when you first walk into the house, there's like a small bit of furniture uh, but stands about this high, called a sideboard. It's like a narrow bit of furniture. Um, I think traditionally you used to put your telephone on it and stuff like that, or it kind of holds our Wi-Fi box, you know. <laughs> it's that kind of, you know, our heating gauge. It's that kind of sideboard. And we've got a post tray. And, you know, when I walk in, what I realize is that that space always becomes a dumping ground. I'm sure that you've got a space in your house that becomes a dumping ground. And when we walk in, we just put down the stuff that we've got in our arms. And, you know, if I was to survey what's on that sideboard right now, it would be full of school jumpers and hats and gloves and parcels and unopened posts and open posts that we haven't sorted and batteries that maybe one day we'll recycle and, you know, gifts that other people have given to me to give to other people people because they can't be bothered to deliver them themselves, but you'll see them, won't you? And then they've, uh, I've got some other stuff on there and all these other things and like, I'm like, <sighs> and I don't know why I'm telling you about just this sideboard because every surface in my house feels like it looks like this and also the floor. You know, I was looking, picking up toys this morning thinking, why am I just talking about a sideboard? Because the floor is like this in our home as well. And you know what? It builds up layer upon layer, and it stresses me right out. I think I'm a secret minimalist inside. You know, when, that's, when I walk in and miraculously, you know, <laughs> like when a leap year is happening, that sideboard happens to be clean and clear. And all the post has been sorted, and there's no presents that I have to deliver on behalf of someone else. I can't be bothered. And, sorry, that's pet peeve right now. And uh, I'm too good, I'm too nice, and I say yes too often, so it's my fault, isn't it? You see, when that sideboard is clear, there's nothing else to be done, and I can rest. But when I uh, come in and I see all these things that need sorting, I know all this work that I've got to do. You see, whether that sideboard, when I come in and walk through the door and see that sideboard, if it's cluttered or if it's clear, it sets the tone of how I live in the house. I can walk in and feel peaceful. Oh, I must have somehow paid for a cleaner that I didn't know I had done. I, I must have somehow, I don't have anything else to do and I can rest. Or I come in and know, I'll just do it tomorrow. <laughs> and I feel stressed. But here's the thing. To get to that place where I can rest, I have to go through the process of clearing item by item. I have to go through the process of sorting and resolving where these things go and put them away and deal with each one. And it takes a bit of time, but when it's done, oh, 
And it's a silly illustration, but it's illustrating something very important, that this is the state of your mind and your spirit when you're assaulted in this world by all the things that we live with day upon day. You see, our minds and our spirits, in order to access the, uh, the peace of the kingdom, we have to be willing to stop and every now and again sort through thought by thought. You know, the Bible says, take all your thought captives and examine them and bring them into line with Christ. Did you know that the peace of the kingdom is accessed just like every other gift of the kingdom? It's accessed through faith and it's available all the time, every moment of every day that we are in relationship with Jesus. And we access the gift of the kingdom just like we access the king of that kingdom, the king himself. He's available all the time, every day, moment by moment, minute by minute. There is nothing that separates me from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you must enter in to peace by faith through relationship with Jesus, meeting with God the Father, talking with him, listening to him, then resting in him. And you know, it takes time. It takes intentional time to submit all our anxious thoughts to Jesus, to God, one by one. That's why the Bible says it over and over and over again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing but in everything, in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts with and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will is a promise. But what have you got to do to access it? Choose to be anxious for nothing and in everything by prayer and perdition bring these requests to God. See, the Christmas story is part of a larger love story. The whole of the Bible is imploring us to come to God the Father. He loves you. He wants to sweep you up and listen to how you're doing. He cares about every intimate thought that you have. He wants you to access the peace that a child feels when they come into contact with their loving parent. You know, when Phoebe jumps up on my knee and we just snuggle, it's like one of the utter joys of my life, being a parent. That close contact, that comfort that she's come to seek from me. Wow. And God feels like that about you. As you're a son or you're a daughter of a good father, we access peace by believing that these words in the Bible are true. And one by one, we bring our anxious thoughts and we submit them and we put them under the feet of Jesus, knowing that he died on the cross to sort all of this out. And I might not see a resolution yet, but one day I will. 
We must bring all of our anxious thoughts and bring them into agreement, acting upon these words, actually fighting for time with the Father. You know the enemy of this world is fighting for your attention every moment of the day. And the way that we win is we give our attention to the Father. We give time to him. We fight for it. You know, it's a fight for you in the morning. The battle will be won in the morning. If you want to get up and spend any time with Jesus in the morning, the fight will go on the night before, whether you'll go to bed or get distracted or get the sleep that you need in order to get up. Do you know, I've had to move. I've had to have this fight over and over again, and I've lost it so many times, but I'm realizing I cannot function without getting up earlier than my kids get up. And oh, my goodness that's so early it's painful but God is worth this he is worth that and I am desperate for it I need it I cannot function without it I must abide in Christ and I wonder if you might as homework this week fight again for time with God because you will do more in when you are abiding in Christ the fruit of your life the breakthrough will come naturally because you're in again relationship with God and I want to encourage you to take an hour this week just an hour, find it somewhere, even if you have to break it up into smaller sections, but want to encourage you to do as King David does in Psalm 131. He says this, my heart is not proud, O Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not aspire to great things or matters too lofty for me. Surely I have stilled and quieted myself. I am like a, we- a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child, my soul is within me. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. See, David's intentionally come to God. He has come knowing he's a child in the arms of a loving parent. He knows that he can climb up. Some people don't like this picture of imagining yourself climbing into the knee of God. It's a bit familiar. It's radically familiar. But I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he shouts, Abba, Daddy. I think we can have that relationship with God where we approach him as one who is here to bring us comfort. We don't always have to come needy, wanting everything all the time. We can just come to God to receive comfort and peace. So just, if you were going to put that into action, here's a few things that you would do just to finish. Intentionally come to God like a loving parent. Imagine resting your head on his chest. Secondly, stop believing that you can fix everything and that you can have to take responsibility for everything. That's what David's talking about. My eyes are not too haughty and I do not look into things or matters that are too lofty for me. You must come and know you put everything down. I can't do it, God. It's too hard today. That issue, this thing is too big for me. I want to just encourage somebody today that you don't have to have everything figured out. That you don't have to get to the end of your struggle to experience the wholeness and the peace of Christ. That right in the middle, you can experience his peace. Even if you don't know what to do, you just know that he's there. You're never alone.
Jesus, uh, just fourthly, Jesus wants to quieten your spirit with his love and perfect your trust in him. And you need to let him. When you can't do this yourself, you need to go help me have your peace today because I'm struggling to access it. And lastly, I want to encourage you to receive comfort and hope from the only sure source that you will find it. It will not be found in Netflix, ultimately. It will not be found in food. I go there a lot. It will not be found in these places that we turn to so often. We're just trying to cope with life. It will not be found in talking about God more often than we talk with God. I want to encourage you to come close today. And as we go into worship, I think that's what's happening next. So I think the band can come and get ready if they want to. As we go into worship now, I want to encourage you to meet with God for yourself. Because it's pointless me coming to talk to you today if you haven't met with the Prince of Peace yourselves. So I need to be quiet and let you do that. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to get still. And I want you to hand your fears and your worries over to him. I want you to see yourself holding this massive heavy weight And I want you to imagine just putting it in the arms of the Father and letting go. I want you to know that he is big enough to handle all your needs. And I want you to choose to believe that his love is enough for this situation that you're struggling with. I want you to know that you can weather this storm complete in him. And I just have some prophetic things that I'll bring, but I'm just going to hand back to Sue, and I might bring them during the worship if she thinks that's appropriate. Or should I do it now? Okay. I just felt like, just as I was preparing, there were a couple of specific situations. Just keep your eyes closed. Focus on Jesus. There are a couple of specific situations that Jesus just particularly wanted to say, I see you. I felt like there are several people here that are struggling financially. I wondered whether it was a a family or you just don't know how you're going to make Christmas work this year. And I felt like he just wants to remind you that he, if you ask him, will show you what's really important this year. He might strip some things away some expectations of your children or expectations of the family. And he might give you the courage just to say, I'm sorry, I can't afford that this year. But he also might provide the money. And I couldn't quite see what he was going to do in your situation. But I wanted to say that God sees you. And I feel like there's somebody here who, maybe a number of people who are waiting for an important phone call. Uh, either about a job or a career or an employment change. Maybe somebody's worried about being laid off or even someone who is worried about health, they're waiting for a diagnosis. And I felt like this promise was to you. It's from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, you may, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, make you complete. <laughs> 
May your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the promise. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And finally, for all of us, we become prodigal children when we run away from God in our minds. We try and fix things ourselves when all the time at home is a loving father who wants to sort it out with you, help you deal with what you're going through. So can I encourage you, stop being a prodigal today and come home to Father God. Come home to the Prince of Peace.